Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is a beautiful day here in Seattle, Washington. And uh, I'm super excited because today I get to talk to Justin Moy, who is from Realm Venture Group and Passive Real Estate Strategies podcast. Justin is a syndicator. He does both the GP side and the LP side. So he's going to have some good perspectives on us uh, for us. He does uh, multifamily as well as now they're looking into my uh, my favorite asset class, self-storage. Um, so this is going to be a good conversation. Justin, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Hey, man, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the the intro. I just got to live up to it now. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I told you before we got on here, we like starting with stories. So why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah. So man, real estate's been in my blood professionally uh, since since the beginning, really. My very first office job was in a commercial real estate office. I was an intern. Uh, I absolutely hated my work because I was really just doing a lot of data entry stuff and helping with marketing packages and making sure Excel sheets had the same column sizes. Like, it, it, the work itself was really bad. <laughs> I've done that but kind of work before. Yeah. yeah, I was an intern, you know, and so I, I was... Uh, Fell in love with what the brokers did, though. It was so cool to see them, you know, celebrating these huge paychecks, and and you know, I would kind of peek behind the curtain, see how much they made on these deals, and um, and they were commercial guys, and I thought that's so cool, that's super exciting. Uh, and then I learned that one of the highest paid people in that office actually didn't go to college, which mm-hmm. is I was, you know, at that seventeen year mark, I was kind of contemplating what my life was going to look like if I was going to go to college. If I wasn't, um, how can I make money, good money, if I didn't go to college, and so. You know, I said, okay, well, when I turn 18, that that's what I want to do. I want to get my real estate license. So I got my real estate license, and this was in the Bay Area in California. Um, started selling single family homes, uh, made great money, but you know, realized that I was rich, but I wasn't wealthy. Right. You know, I didn't have you any had money, but no time. <laughs> yeah, I had no time freedom at all. And and although you know, you're an entrepreneur when you're in real estate sales, and you know, still entrepreneur now, I kind of felt that that burnout creeping up on me really fast. Mm. Um, you know, I'm the type of person that just dives into something hundred percent, I'll obsess over it. And so, you know, I wasn't taking days off. I wasn't taking vacations. I was letting, you know, my physical health, my mental health slip, my relationships were slipping. Um, and I realized, you know, I, I don't want to make a sacrifice between making good money or having my time. So how can I kind of combine those two things? So I started looking into investing and owning and, um, you know, I sold a lot to investors and, it was so cool because when I would sell to them, um, I would call them three, four, five times, and I'm panicking like, okay, did they did they change their mind on selling? And then they'd finally call back and say, oh, sorry, you know, I was I was on the on the Fifi Islands for a couple of days. You know, and this was like the revolving story. Um, these people were living great lives. So I decided, okay, I want to own. But when you do the math of owning single family rentals, that math it kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at pocketing maybe 100, 200 bucks every month. And to really replace some serious income, that's a lot of homes you got to buy. So dove into commercial, uh, multifamily was a pretty logical next step for, for me, started doing that. Um, then, like you said, in the, in the beginning, starting to branch off into some different asset classes. Now, just with some of the, the 
market effects multifamily is seeing that I think will die down in a couple of years, but diversifying from there. So that was really the the 10,000 foot story and where we are today. Nice, man. I love it. Um, and yeah, being able to have that influence so early in life, I wish I, I had an internship at a, you know, some kind of real oh. estate firm when I was in my teens. I, I went to the corporate world, did that for almost a decade before I finally got into real estate. So Sounds like uh, at least you got the you got the itch, even though you were just plugging in numbers. Uh, you know, we all do those <laughs> those kind of jobs, but you got the itch, and you took it from there, which is awesome to hear. Um, how did you? Let's take go back to the transition between your being an agent and then buying that first multifamily. Um, how did you make that transition? What did you, you know, how'd you get the education? How did you come up with the funds? Uh, take yeah. us to that first deal once you did decide that you wanted to be an owner of a commercial property and not uh, not a broker. Yeah, so I, I paid my way in. Um, I paid through a formal mentorship program um, and that introduced me to a lot of people really quickly. They had a lot of good training modules, a lot of good books, a lot of good podcasting that I would just l- listen to. And you know, like I said before, when I do something, I really dive in and I honestly get a little bit obsessed with it. So I'm just absorbing as much as I can. And then the, the great part about commercial is there's a lot of room in these deals to bring on partners and whether mm. those are capital partners or advisors. Um, so that's a pretty common path. So through those programs, I met other really great people. Um, and through those great people, we JV'd or joint ventured a deal. We didn't syndicate it. We didn't bring on outside investors. We just had the active partners kind of all put in a little bit of cash um, and bought our first deal was a 40 unit uh, apartment building. So really good deal. Um, and that was, you know, quite a few years ago. Now we're getting ready to potentially prep it for sale. Not 100% sure just yet, but it was a great deal. We learned a ton. Thankfully, we didn't take on any investor money because we definitely messed up a lot along the way. Um, but we knew that would happen. Yeah. That's why we don't want to take on any investors. So, you know, that was quite a few years ago. And now here we are, you know, we keep buying deals, keep looking for more units um, and we build properties in Boise now. So there's a lot going on. So it's kind of sprung from there. Very cool. Very cool. And yeah, those first few deals, um, it's hard to, you know, if you don't have quite a bit of money set aside, it's hard to take down bigger, you know, 40 unit plus deals, um, unless you bring in capital, but it is, it's scary to bring in capital on deals when you don't have experience. Cause you're going to make mistakes. You know, everybody does, there's no shame in it, but it's just, it's something that's going to happen. Um, so it sounds like you guys, you had that money, which is awesome. Um, what was, was it, what kind of condition was it in? Was it a reposition or were you guys buying it yeah. just for cash flow? Would be to hell. Um, yeah, it was yeah. hell. Yeah, it was essentially uh, con- a condemned building. Mm. We couldn't live in there legally, although there oh, were tenants in there uh, that weren't exactly the paying kind. And so uh, we bought this thing. Of course, the price was really, really good, and the returns have been extremely strong. But of course, those deals are a little bit riskier. Uh, you're mm. buying no in-place cash flow. You are essentially redoing everything. Your rehab budgets are very large, and if you don't budget them very well. You know, ten or twenty percent difference in a large rehab budget can really derail you. As mm-hmm. opposed to a single family, okay, if you're ten, twenty percent off, that probably won't uh, sink your ship. But in the commercial space, you could. That could happen. So you're we we go in there and we you know kick everybody in there, kick everybody out who's in there right now. Um, 
And that was only you know, three or four people. And we had to just go to work on this thing, just unit by unit by unit, uncovering more and more and more, you know, junk that we needed to take care of. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it, looking back now, it, it all went great. But uh, during the time, it was a little bit daunting. You know, can we really take on these projects? Can we really rehab this building like this? Um, but we had good partners who had a lot of construction experience and were very, very confident in their ability to manage the project. And uh, that was really key to making it successful. Yeah, that is super important, especially if you don't have the experience. I did. Uh, I did a few flips on my own. Um, I had no experience, and I it was a nightmare. It was just a just a disaster. If I had done a multifamily, that would have just been horrible. Um, so it is really good to be able to partner with people who have that experience. Uh, it sounds like you guys had a good team, and so you were able to kind of get through it. Um, you know, scope out the work correctly and uh, and get the get the work done. So. Uh, once you got that point, it sounds like you guys went into development. How'd you guys make that transition? Yeah. So one of the partners actually already had a development business that they were mm. doing. Um, and that was kind of their regular job. And they were looking to get into syndications to diversify a little bit, have some cash flow to kind of weather the storms of, of developments um, or the length of developments where you're not getting paid. And so when we eventually did a couple of deals together, we you know joined things pretty formally and kind of made it into one you know entity that it is now and so um, that company was already in place i don't handle that side of the business nearly as much as like the syndications and the investors and the, and the podcast and that kind of stuff um but it's a good spot to be in you know you're really solving a problem that the country needs housing is a really big issue right now and uh, it feels good to contribute to to that solution for sure yeah yep absolutely um I want to talk a little bit about why you're transitioning away from multifamily into these other things. But before we do that, you mentioned earlier that uh, real briefly, you mentioned that multifamily you think is going to have kind of a correction within the next few years. Can you go a little bit into that? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we are seeing multifamily really got flooded a lot during COVID. And that's mm. because people saw how stable it was relative to some other asset classes. Mm. So because of that, you saw all this big money, all these people who were, you know, office investors or retail investors, when those asset classes got crushed during COVID, um, they saw, okay, well, what's performing well? Okay, well, it was multifamily. Now, what a lot of people didn't realize is a lot of that is forced through government incentives and government programs where, okay, collections were up, occupancy was up, um, and people really had free money to work with and to pay their rent. So as people flooded the space, of course, cap rates compressed, prices got driven up, and it was actually fine because interest rates were so low, you could you could do that. You could afford to pay more. Um, but since then, you know, rates have shot up. Seller expectations are, you know, haven't really adjusted as much, but we have a lot of distressed debt that's going to be coming due uh, over the next, you know, two, three years. And I don't know if interest rates will lower in time for those operators to be able to recover. And I think there'll be a lot of opportunities there. Um, but for now, you know, we're not really seeing the returns we'd like to see on a lot of our underwriting for properties. You know, we haven't bought a new multifamily deal in over a year. Um, mm. And we look at, you know, multiple deals every single week, sometimes daily, depending on what the deal flow looks like in our markets. But we're not really seeing close to what we can get in our short-term rental fund. That's just absolutely crushing it right now. Um, Self-storage is is projecting to continue to do really well. Um, and there's other asset classes that we're interested in. But it was very hard to see the returns that we were looking for in just market rate multifamily for now. Um, yeah. I think that'll correct here in the next maybe two to three years. Um, and that deal flow will pick back up. But, you know, in the meantime, we're looking at other asset classes that we're excited about. 
Cool, man. I love it. Um, what, uh, just generally, you know, you don't have to go too far into it, but what kind of return are you guys looking at when you look at a multifamily? Are you doing cash on cash? Um, is it like, you know, what is the, the number that you're looking for? Yeah. So I like to essentially tell investors, our goal is to double your money, you double your investment within the three to six year mark. Mm-hmm. So that's usually a blend of cash flow. We don't buy uh, empty buildings anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. that deep go well it went pretty well it's just as you kind of progress in your career and in your investing career you just you don't want that headache (laughs) yeah you just start to eliminate things um and it's a way to mitigate risk and it's a way to stay hyper focused on what you do and as you grow it's hard to manage very many tasks so you know we just don't buy empty buildings anymore so we do have some type of in-place cash flow i like to see it be you know at least six to seven percent high six to seven percent um, average throughout the whole period, again, about three to six years. Um, with that equity multiple being to get, if not double, get really close to double or pace to double your equity within that three to six year mark. So that's going to shake out to you know about 17 or 20% um, return on average throughout the year, uh, assuming a sale. So a little bit of a blend. Nice. Um, sweet. But so you guys, it sounds like you're moving away from that. You're going into other assets. Um, it's funny you mentioned short-term rentals. Self-storage is my, like the main thing that I invest in, um, yeah. self-storage and mobile home RV. But we're just, uh, me and my partner, we're buying our first um, short-term rental out here okay. in Port Angeles right now. And uh, we're super excited. We love the city. I've never underwritten um, short-term rent- rentals before. So it's been kind of fun. Um, why do you guys, you know, once you pivoted away from multifamily, why did you choose to focus in on, sh- on short-term and then uh, um, self-storage? Yeah. So, you know, the short-term rental space has always been something that I've been interested uh, myself. And there were a couple obstacles with the short-term space that that prevented us from getting into it at scale. Um, one was seasonality mm. and the second was management. Mm. Um, and it, it's just a, diff- a whole different game for you to go into multifamily or market rate, you know, rentals or long-term rentals and now go into short-term rentals, especially when you're taking on other people's money. Okay. Your due diligence has to be so much stronger, your operations, you're creating essentially an entirely new company. Mm-hmm. So we never did it. Now we partner. Now we do what's called a fund to funds model. So we essentially partner with other teams that are operating in these spaces. Cause again, we can't be the experts in anything, in everything. I can't be the, the multifamily and the short term rental and the self storage company. That's just not too plausible for our size. So we found operators that had a, a fund going on. Okay. And the fund diversified through 10 states. The cash on cash return is after about one year, close to hitting the double digits at this point. Wow. Um, exits so far have averaged about 42%, uh, what's called IRR. Mm-hmm. And the operations are so rock solid. The team is so strong and so good. And the data that they they have, their, their ability to really understand the markets they're in, to to understand and read the data and things like air DNA and understand seasonalities was so strong that it was hard for us to pass up such a strong opportunity. Um, and we're operating as an, on an institutional level in a mom and pop space. Yeah, right? There's not that many enormous short-term rental operators and gives us, you know, a huge advantage. The company has you know, 40 plus full-time employees uh, plus advisors. And, you know, we've really been able to crush it in that space and the markets that we're in. And the returns are just not are undeniable. Um, they've just been so much stronger than market rate multifamily that we really dove in, and that raise has been going very well. Nice, man. I love it. And so you guys are investing as uh, limited partners in somebody else's fund. Yeah, we are. So the fund to fund model is, you know, essentially we're creating an entity to invest into this fund. So um, what happens is you might you'll have these big operators, and they might say, hey, if you invest 
you know, our minimum investment is $500,000 because they're raising massive amounts of money, right? Um, and then you'll get, you know, these terms, maybe a, a seven pref and a 70% split thereafter. But we're able to come in and say, hey, we're going to be a much bigger entity. So we're going to bring you, you know, 3 million bucks, not 500,000, but we can, we can raise that money, you know, 25, $50,000 at a time. Mm. So since we're bringing you one bigger check, you know, we want better terms. So mm. instead of a six or a seven pref, okay, we want an eight. And instead of 70% equity, we want 85%. And from a scale perspective, it makes sense to the operator because now they don't have to raise $3 million, dollars $50,000 at a time. And for us, our investors like it because they don't have to invest $500,000 and they get stronger terms because they're kind of being part of this really big scale that we're bringing. So we kind of insert ourselves into these uh, institutional operators, gives our retail investors access to these enormous players. Um, and so that's been a really effective method for us. And then we invest in the deals our, ourselves as well. Yeah. Nice. No, that sounds like a, um, you know, if you don't have the expertise in a specific specific asset class, then that sounds like a really good way to take advantage of the returns um, of that asset class. Um, and you're right. I mean, it you, you really can only become an expert, or at least from my experience, I can only become an expert in like one to two asset classes because each yeah. one is so different and you really need to change the operations for them. Um, and so if you want to grow at scale and you want to take on another asset class, it's, it sounds like it's a lot more safe uh, to invest in the way that you're doing in somebody else's fund. So um, how about self-storage? Is that something that you guys are buying yourself or are you doing the same fund to fund kind of model? So we're doing the same model. We haven't bought into any just yet. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of operators out there that we really like. We're kind of doing our due diligence on on them and their deals, um, which is another benefit of kind of the fund of fund models as an investor is you kind of get the second layer of due diligence. Mm -hmm. um, the operator does theirs, of course, those their deals they're running them, and then we will do due diligence again. And you know we pass up on about eighty percent of the deals that we see. Um, so we're in the beginning stages of it. I like the asset class. Uh, historically, it's performed well during recession. I'm sure you kind of understand all these things, but we love it for all the same reasons why you do. Yeah. Um, and it gives a certain level of diversification. And we see at least projected much stronger returns than some of the multifamily we're seeing, at least in like a primary secondary market um, from cash flow perspective. So we really like that asset class. I think it's more meat on that bone too for mom and pop operators and smaller organizations that you can come in and really value add a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. Right on, man. Well, hey, I just took a peek at the clock. It looks like we have run it down. So it's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. It starts with books or any form of education. I need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and yeah. one for business or real estate. Yeah. So I love Atomic Habits. Mm. Uh, that's one of my favorite books. So you don't really realize how much of your life is driven by habit. I think this happens almost every day when people drive to work and they kind of snap out of it these days and like, oh my God, I'm, I'm at work. And you didn't really realize you even drove there because that's all, all driven by habit. Um, so Atomic Habits is a really, really good one. And one thing that I love for real estate specific is, you know, we raise money. So I like Hunter Thompson's book, um, mm. Raising Capital for Real Estate. Um, might be kind of niche to, to guys like us, but um, that's kind of a good business development book that I like. I follow him a lot, but Atomic Habits, every single person can benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah. Both those books, I've read them both. They're really good. Um, all right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Justin who is uh, just opening the door on the first day of that internship <laughs> way back in the day when he was 17 years old. Go to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Yeah. Um, it's going to be to bring on mentors quicker. 
Mm. So on mentors in a, I, I believe in doing it in a formal sense. So paying for mentorship. Um, and I believe in paying a lot for good mentorship programs. You know, if I would have done that in my real estate sales career, you know, I would have been a lot happier and I would have made a lot more money. Um, I'm very happy with the way my life shook out, but if I would have taken on mentors sooner and formal coaching sooner, the growth would have been exponential. Yeah. Yeah. Mentors are so crucial because they shorten the time that it takes you to learn how to do a skill. Um, and so I love that for anything that you want to get good at, uh, for, and especially if you want to get into a new asset class to hire a mentor who is an expert in that asset, who is just crushing it in short term, crushing it in self-storage, crushing it in multifamily, whatever it is. Um, so love to hear that. All right. Next question is about your business. The first three positions we hire are form the foundation of our business. So what were the first three positions for you? And would you do it differently if you did it again today? Yeah. So our first three positions, they were all virtual, um, Mm. all virtual assistants. And so of course, a a personal VA was the first. A second was I sort of an informal position. I call them a content manager. So Mm. we put out a ton of content. If you look me up on on social media, Justin Moy 21, I think is most of my handles. Uh, We post every day. I post stories. I post reels. We post on LinkedIn. You know, that stuff is not possible without a content management team. Mm. Um, I, of course, make the content. And then after that, I, I need to outsource how we can post it and make sure that those go on at the right times. Uh, so personal assistant for myself, content, and then kind of going hand in hand with that content was editors. So mm-hmm. podcasting and video editing, we're starting YouTube channels now. Um, anything that's administrative, in my opinion, you should outsource pretty quickly and then look to fill your calendar with things that are your superpower. Think things like this. I love talking. I love talking real estate. I love doing podcasts. I love creating content. So anything that is not that or focused on that on my calendar, I should get out. Yep. So all the administrative stuff. So a little bit of a, you know, many hats kind of positions, but a virtual assistant, a content manager, and then somebody to handle editing. Nice. Love it. All right. Next question is about the US. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity out there. Um, Give me the single city, the single metro you're most excited about investing in today. Yeah, man. I'm going to say Kansas City, where we're at right now. All right. Um, I moved here from Phoenix. And if you look at a lot of the indicators of Kansas City in terms of growth of, of population, of jobs, of income, of net migration, Kansas City was number one for net migration over the past, I think, four months. Oh, really? Um, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And top three in rent growth over the, the same time period. Hmm. So uh, we just got a, a billion dollar airport extension. We now have a legitimate airports before hmm. it was like five, I think five or six gates now. You know, you kind of got to get your walking shoes on to, to make your way around there. Um, you see development and cranes going up everywhere. So Kansas City, I think, is a city that a lot of people are are sleeping on, but are slowly starting to realize that this place is is coming up pretty big. Nice. I love it. Yeah, you're actually the first person to say that. I asked this, what, we're on episode 300 something. I ask it every time you're the first person to say Kansas City, but I have been hearing Kansas City pop up in social media in terms of like, you know, markets that are growing. So uh, I makes think a lot, of, a lot sense. of people are going to say, you know, the Phoenix and the Dallas and stuff, but if you're just getting started, it's very, very tough to climb those hills. Mm. Those good old boys networks are so deep right now. And the yield is so tight there. Um, you know, and we're just not comfortable buying a four cap right now. Yeah. Like that's yeah. Kind of what you have to do to play in those circles. So, you know, there's other markets that have more sexy metrics, but if you're just getting started out or you want another market, um, that's not white hot and you're going to buy a four cap or even lower, um, Kansas City is a, is a really great spot. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I bought two self-storage facilities in Dallas, um, a couple of years back and I've been looking for one ever since I haven't found anything there. Yeah. <laughs> the cap rates are like zero. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Next question. This is about finding deals. It all starts with finding the deal. So what is your favorite way to, uh, to find good deals? Yeah, so for our size of deals, uh, brokers is the number one way that we source deals. Now, when you get up into the 100 plus unit space, not too many get traded off market. You definitely can, uh, and, and deals do get done that way, but it's just how you want to dedicate your time. So instead of cold calling or sending mail out to all these owners and you get a lot of gatekeepers, you get a lot of receptionists, you know, your mail kind of falls flat um, in these big organizations, you know, I let the brokers handle that and I kind of just prospect them. So I send them gifts, I send them Christmas presents, I call them and check on them. You know, it's just changing who your prospecting list is. Um, and then of course they they get paid to do all the stuff that takes them all day to do. Um, so we don't want to dedicate the time to doing all those things. We're happy to pay a broker, you know, whatever percent to to do all that stuff for us. Yep. Yep. Makes sense to me. Uh, next question is about mentors. You've already mentioned it a few times. So this is going to be a good one for you. Um, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So give me one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today. Man, I'm going to say, you know, my very first real estate mentor, um, my very, very first real estate mentor, his name was Mike. And he was the manager of the commercial office that I had worked at when I was 17. And, you know, of course, when I got my license, I had called him to man, I got my license, I'm super excited. And, you know, we stayed in touch and I asked some tough questions and he gave me tough answers. And, you know, he kicked me in the butt a lot of the times. And, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time now, but you know, he had a pretty good impact on the way that I see real estate, the way that I see business the viability of this as a career um, and some of the very, very 10,000 foot view highlights of things that you need to do to be successful. And it's so cool when you have somebody whose income is so high and their their value per hour of their time is so high that when you get off a phone, a 30, 45 minute phone call with them, you're like, man, you know, that, that person, they're making you know 2000 bucks an hour, a thousand bucks an hour. They just spent almost an hour on the phone with me for free. Um, you know, th those things are really, really cool. So it helps your confidence a lot too. Um, I think it came at just the right time when I was very young and he really set me on a good track to, to project forward. Nice. Well, shout out to Mike. Thanks for helping Justin get to where he is. And that leads us to the last question. This is for the listeners. You've given us, given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you, learn a little bit more about what you guys do. So um, what is the best way for people to reach out and find you? Yeah. So the absolute best thing is if, if you are interested in investing passively, um, we have an ebook. It's called The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. So check it out. We talk all about funds, syndications, REITs, pros and cons, projector returns, red flags, green flags. I mean, absolutely everything you can possibly want to know, I hope, um, in that ebook. And then as you download that, you'll get you know contact info from me. I'll send you, I'll send you some emails introducing myself. Um, so it's at thedefinitiveguidebook.com and check that out. Sweet. I will put that link in the show notes, thedefinitiveguidebook.com. All you got to do is just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description and there you can find that link. Perfect. All right, Justin, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. And Gabe, this was great, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions at all, reach out to me, Gabe, at therealestateinvestingclub.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all we ask is you give us a like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. 
Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form, fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.